Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 458 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find wonderful writing courses and a supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of many, many books, but her latest one is The Wolf's Howl, a Maven and Reeve mystery. How are you, Al? I'm okay. Thanks, Val. I'm just okay today. Are you fair to middling? Trucking along, fair to middling. Yeah, fair to middling. Middle of the well, we're we're getting. Well, no, we're not really. It's still only early December, really. Technically, mm. isn't it? So yes. Yeah, I don't know. We're just. I'm just getting on with things. I'm pretty sure. Doesn't everyone just feel like that at the moment? I don't know. At, in early December, pretty much, and you just yeah. want December to roll out and kind of finish. Have you done your Christmas shopping? Oh. Yes and no, like yeah, no. sort of. You know, I haven't really been um like we're not we're not trying to kind of going too nuts with it. Christmas has felt like it wasn't happening for me this year. Like it has. Yeah. I mean, the tree's up now. I mean, I've got that far. Oh wow, um, that's further than I've got. Well, you know, technically the first of December is meant to be the day. Like I didn't get yeah. the advent calendar out until you know <laughs> the fourth of December. <laughs> Okay. A few days behind. Had a <laughs> well, couple that's of just make- for lots of chocolates you can eat. <laughs> I had a couple in to make up, you know, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Like it's it just doesn't feel. I don't. I'm, it's not feeling a lot like Christmas for me right now. Let's just say that, shall we? No, I know. Well, last year I didn't feel like Christmas at all because I was in the Avalon lockdown, <laughs> and so oh, of I course. think I. So I have. It's like I haven't had a Christmas for two years, and it's uh, kind of I, I'm because I'm. It's almost like I'm out of the habit because I've forgotten what it's like. Oh, so you don't know <laughs> what to do with yourself. I know I need to write a list and uh, for oh, my there Christmas you go. shopping. That's a good start. So, yeah, that is a good start. And um, I don't know. Maybe I should play some carols, buy some tinsel, and dress the cats and dogs up in Santa hats, and that'll get me into the mood. <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely do that. I'm sure they'll okay. absolutely love it. <laughs> All right. We want to give a big shout-out to Lorraine Horsley. Congratulations to uh, Lorraine because she has – oh, she's been listening to our podcast for quite some time and she kindly wrote us a letter. Um, she decided to self-publish her own book but then days after she just made that decision, she um, – a publisher approached her about a contract for one of her picture books. And she writes, the publisher then asked what else I was working on. I told her I was writing a book for students, which I was determined to self-publish. She asked to see it. And she sent it, a copy, to to Book Boy. She did. To Book Boy. And to be honest, she sent it via us and I have forwarded it to Book Boy. Yes. AKA via his mum. But it Allison. has not as yet arrived. <laughs> it hasn't yet arrived. So we are yet. looking forward to receiving it in the post any minute now. And so that my baby Rocky didn't miss out, she sent him some cat treats. How gorgeous is that? <laughs> I, oh, I, thank you, Lorraine. That's very kind. I'm glad she didn't yes. send book boy cat treats. That could have been yeah. problematic, but. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Alison is waiting with bated breath, I have no doubt, for uh, the arrival of that book. I am. Thank you you so so much. much.
Yes, Lorraine. Uh, and we just want to give a big reminder to everyone that the Penguin Literary Prize is closing soon, isn't it, Al? It is, on the 15th of December. So if you're working towards that, it's time yeah. to get the um, speed typing on or the speed editing or whichever bit of it you're up to um, to make sure that you get your entries in by the 15th of December. It's um, Get on with it's it. It's a winding down. We're at the, I'm always impressed by anyone who's got enough sort of gas left in the tank to – get involved in anything like that at this time of year. I just, I find it really hard to find my motivation by the time mm-hmm. we get to December, but I'm sure that there's a lot of you out there who are diligently working towards that goal. So make sure you don't miss the window. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing that doesn't require much effort, if you are lacking in motivation, is to enter our competition because we have a massive holiday reading book pack, 15 books across a diverse range of genres, perfect to use as gifts or to read for yourself in the new year. There are so many um, uh, titles that are in this fantastic book pack and all you need to do is go to writercentercomau slash win and follow the instructions. They're really easy instructions and you can mm. win this massive holiday reading book pack. Some of the brilliant novels are Somebody's Land by Adam Goods and Ellie Lang. I actually can't wait to read that. It's um, mm. a picture book by Adam Goods. Uh, Larimar by Kylie Stevenson and Caroline Graham, which is a true story. Uh, the Luminous Solution by Charlotte Wood, which is a personal development kind of book. Seven and a Half by Christos Tsoukas, which I actually have here on my to-be-read pile. Can't wait oh. to get into it. Yes, The Shearer's Wife by Fleur MacDonald, which is rural suspense. And Kill Your Brother by Jack Heath. And we had Jack on the podcast recently um, when he was talking about how he wrote that ver- a version, the audiobook version first for Audible. Mm. And so this is the printed version, which is slightly different. So if you're interested, you can compare the two. Mm-hmm. So go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 27th of December and then you'll have all of these books ready for you over summer. Excellent. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that we've written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Um, I think my resistance is so low that I actually, <laughs> I think I actually am ready for the word of the week. Okay, coriaceous, C O R I A C E O U S, coriaceous. Hmm. Do you know what that is? I know the word, but I don't think I could tell you what it meant. Okay, it's an adjective, and it means of or like leather. It's usually used in botany to describe leathery leaves, but you could also say the coriaceous skin of the turtle. Mm, you could. Yes. Just don't do what I did accidentally the other day. And I didn't right. use the word coriaceous, but I, 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 it was <laughs> like I 
No, well, I didn't want to. It was like I virtually said your skin is coriaceous, <gasps> which is not a good thing. It what was an did accident. did you use? Because this, a friend of mine who is we stunning and beautiful, <laughs> a friend of mine who is stunning and beautiful, she had this amazing jacket on, but these jackets had um, cutouts, you know, mm. like, you know, like the little panels that didn't cut it mm. out, which actually reveal the skin. Mm. And I said, oh my God, that's beautiful leather on your jacket. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh. Are you in shock? Is that why you're silent? Because I didn't, I couldn't, I was I was trying to picture, it took me a minute to picture what we're actually, like what you were looking at. But you're saying that There were like panels on the shoulder. It was panels on the shoulder that were like cut out of the jacket. And so it was was, their skin that was showing. But in my defence, I was on Zoom. Okay. Without your glasses. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) was mortified right but but like I said I was on zoom so at least I have that excuse and I was complimenting her second zoom covers everything <laughs> all right anyway um let's move on I think we that should. <laughs> was the word of the week this podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre a world leader in writing courses Our course, Creative Nonfiction, is your essential guide to crafting a true story into a compelling, page-turning book. Creative Nonfiction is one of the most popular genres in publishing right now, and it's clear to see why people love a good story. And if it's based on true events, they're even more invested in it. Perhaps you want to explore true crime, history, or literary journalism. Maybe you have a great idea for a memoir or armchair travel book. It doesn't matter what subject you're passionate about, this course provides you with a blueprint on everything you need to know, from how to structure your story and bring its real characters to life, to the kind of research you need to do and the techniques that will drive your narrative to a powerful climax. With over 10 hours of lessons and plenty of practical exercises to complete, you'll discover how to weave your true story into a truly great read. This powerful course removes the guesswork and breaks down the process step-by-step so you can approach your writing project with confidence. And because it's one of our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash creative nonfiction. That's writerscentercomau slash creative nonfiction. Shall we talk to our writer in residence this week, Al? I think that sounds like an excellent idea, Val. I am so excited about this conversation. We are chatting to Anika Molesworth and she has released her book. It's a memoir called Our Sunburnt Country and the tagline is A Young Farmer Shares How We Can Grow the Courage to Protect Our Land and Save Our Food. It is beautifully written. It is passionately written. It's not just a memoir. It's actually really informative. It's it's kind of like a series of essays which she's done an incredible amount of research on. She is really, really passionate about many of the issues that are affecting our country, including climate change, the way we deal with our agriculture and so on. It's um, 
as I said, it's beautifully written. Anika did a course in creative nonfiction um, and I'm so thrilled that it's helped her in this. The book has been lauded by the Sydney Morning Herald, the Australian, by, you know, lots of places and um, I hope you enjoy this chat with Anika Molesworth. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anika. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Congratulations on your book, Our Sunburnt Country. Oh, my God. This is a tour de force. It's a beauty. It's a beautiful book to read and the concepts are going to be life-changing and have such an impact on so many communities and the country, quite frankly. But I know that's kind of really building it up. <laughs> Let's just, for some for listeners who aren't um, familiar with the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Yes. So this book is an exploration of how climate change is impacting the food system from paddock to plate. And also, what are the solutions to deal with this problem that are captured in that food and farming system? So although this is a story explaining the, the challenge and complexity of climate change, it's also a story of hope and optimism and strategies to get ourselves out of this mess. Which is, also, which is what I love because there are so many articles and stories and, you know, documentaries and keynote speeches and all the things that we're doing wrong, and yes, we're doing them wrong, but this is underpinned by exactly that. He's also what we um, can look forward to and do about it. But look, this is a massive topic. <laughs> Why did you want to write it? Well, I guess I was looking for this book myself in that I recognised that there was a gap in the story of how rural Australians and rural people around the world are being impacted by a changing climate how that's impacting our food, how that then impacts everyone as we all eat food, and then what we can do every time we open the fridge door or sit down at the kitchen table to eat our meal, what do we need to be thinking about to help tackle this problem? So I guess with this book, I wanted to help you know, present the science in an engaging way, um, bringing the humanity into the story of climate change, making this personal, personal, local, making it urgent, and also helping the reader to feel empowered that they too can help tackle this problem. So just to give listeners and viewers some context, um, what is your background um, in not only in the rural space, but also in the scientific space? So I live on my family's property in far western New South Wales on the beautiful red sands of Willakali country. And I came out here when I was 12 years old when my family purchased our farm. And we came from Melbourne, from an urban you know, life. And I was just in awe of the landscape of the rural community, you know, the horizons that go on forever and you know sapphire blue skies and the the animals you know the kangaroos that bound across the landscape and as a 12 year old you know I fell head over heels in love with this place and I also felt a really um deep connection to this landscape a sense of belonging to this raw untamed environment and with that sense of connection a sense of responsibility that 
I have to look after this place too. My parents purchased uh, in the year 2000, which was the start of the decade long millennium drought, which at that time became known as the worst drought on record in Australia. And it was 10 years of little to no rainfall. So I watched the landscape dry out before my, my eyes. Uh, it becomes silent out here, the birds disappeared. I watched people in the rural community walk away, you know, move to the cities because it was becoming too, too distressing out here in amongst the drought and the dust storms and the heat waves. And I started to learn more about this term climate change and what that actually means, how humans are actually driving that. And I guess I then fell into the world of science because I have a, a natural curiosity, always asking questions, leaning in to the natural world and trying to understand what it is telling us and our place within it. So I started to learn more about agriculture, um, natural ecosystems, human interactions with it, and then climate change. And that has then really uh, you know, spurred me to stand up and speak about these issues and play a role in more of the, the communication and advocacy side of things. Now, with the amount of study that you have done in, you know, um, agriculture and science and climate change, you could have written a book that was far more technical or that was a bit more scientific. Uh, so when you thought, I'm going to write a book on this, what was the thought process in your head on determining what kind of book you wanted to write and what was going to be in it? So I had just come out of my PhD actually in 2019. And before doing my PhD, I had done a master's in sustainable agriculture and before that a bachelor in science. And so I had spent, you know, a good uh, decade almost uh, writing in a very academic style. And in science writing, you do not have any emotion or personal narrative or storytelling. It is about facts and figures. It is about presenting data with statistics, with graphs, with figures. And I think that's why I found writing my PhD thesis quite challenging because there wasn't a, a beautiful flow of narrative. And writing has always been a passion of mine. It's something that I've always wanted to do to tell stories. But I guess I had never had, you know, the time in my calendar to do that. And it wasn't until the start of 2020, when the COVID situation really started to escalate here in Australia, that I suddenly had a large amount of time in my schedule to sit down, to open up all my notebooks that I had, you know, been scribbling in over the years, you know, points I'd jotted down of, oh, this is a great idea or a great concept. And I actually pulled that out and set to work of writing a book. And I literally sat on the floor with pieces of paper all around me, uh, did a bit of a mind map, did a bit of a, a storyboard, like one would do if you're creating a film. Um, you know, how would the story flow? What, what would the characters be doing? Even sketching out little images. And I formed this overview of a book that I would love to write. 
Wow. Okay. So it sounds to me that you didn't, you, you wanted to avoid any of the academic type of writing and that you wanted it to, to be a more personal story. And everyone, this book is deeply personal. Um, but within it, you have also included information, you know, um, interesting information and fairly complex topics that you've explained through personal stories. You say that you've, you kind of mapped it out, but uh, how, how did you determine what stories you wanted to include? What, you know, what, how did you map out that cinematic view of the book? Well, I actually did a fair bit of reading and research on storytelling and what you know, what is involved in the great stories, whether it's Lord of the Rings or, you know, any of the classics that we have on the bookshelf. Um, how does the plot, you know, lie out on the pages? How do you build up that sense of tension? When do you relieve that tension and find, you know, um, a, a sense of relief and conclusion? Um, and so I did that story arc and then I thought, okay, well, how does my story and the story of climate change fit within it and it actually fits quite nicely in that in that in the beginning I wasn't really concerned or aware of climate change my life was you know the average Australian life of pulling food off a supermarket shelf and enjoying weekends outdoors but not much uh, concern or consideration for the footprint I was having on the planet and then I developed that awareness of yes, I am actually having a footprint on the planet. Um, and so is my sector, the agricultural industry. So are we as a, a global society. And that sort of builds up the tension in the story. And then I look at some of the factors that actually make this, um, which exacerbates the problem in terms of poor communication environments, dismissal of science, poor political narratives and policy. And then towards the end of the story, I talk about the actions. Well, how do we overcome these problems? What can you do? What can I do? And I bring it back sort of full circle um, in that the, the second last chapter, I'm back at home on the farm planting trees. And this is my effort um, and, and my vision for the world too. Mm. Now, you kind of had the, the benefit of COVID in the sense that you, 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 you know, you, you um, were able to devote time to mapping this out. So you map it out and now it's time to write it. Can you give us an idea of, uh, on a practical level, how you achieved all of the words on the page? Did you write it over a long period of time? Did you write it over a short period of time? Did you have any targets uh, or, or word count that, word counts that you wanted to reach? What did you do? How much time did you spend on it each day? Definitely in the beginning, it was a bit of a haphazard approach. I had never attempted to write a book before. Um, I suddenly was writing a book the you know COVID happens I started sketching out this idea I was then approached by a publishing house um, and a contract was signed it happened within the space of two to three months and suddenly I had a six-month deadline to deliver a manuscript and so I actually went wow okay this is happening there's no time to delay but in those early weeks I guess I was okay 
working out what are the themes, what are the emotions I want the reader to feel at the various chapters, um, what, what the tone, whether it's, you know, calmness or urgency or relief, where mm. that fits within the story. It was a bit later on, sort of a few months into the process, that I realised that I couldn't tell the story properly by myself and I needed other voices in there, people from along the food system to really enrich this story and to bring in their perspectives, their concerns, their vision. And so I realized, my goodness, I'm going to have to do some interviews for this book and include those um, other narratives in here. And I literally like opened up my atlas at home and went like, okay, I need someone from this region of the world and this region of the world. And I need someone from this part of the food system, you know, on the farm. I need the scientist. I need the advocate. I need the nutritionist. And then I just got to work of trying to find those people. And I reached out to a lot of people and the people who responded were just so incredibly generous with their time and on board with my goodness, yes, this is a book that has to be written and I would love to help you write it. Wow, brilliant. Okay, so one of the dangers of, um, and you've included, you know, some fantastic stories in here of, as you say, people who are not you, <laughs> um, including your own stories, um, but one of the dangers when you interview people for a book is that, you know, you could arrange it, you could find them, you can research them and then you interview them and they're really boring. Or... They may not be boring, but they're just not relevant enough. What they say is not relevant enough for your particular topic and theme. So firstly, did you experience that at all? And, sec and also then how did you kind of decide who made the cut? Because I'm assuming not everyone made the cut. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, that's right. No, not everyone made the cut. But even the people that I spoke to who didn't make the cut, they reinforced that this was a very important topic that needs to be told but they might not have met the cut for various reasons in that I had too many farmer stories and so I needed to strategically remove a few of them or some people that I interviewed had very limited English and so I couldn't do their story justice. I couldn't tell it properly in the way that it needed to be told. Um, and so I guess with writing too, one has to be quite... <coughs> sorry. <coughs> I guess in writing, you have to be quite ruthless too in like what is actually best for the book and telling this narrative. And you do sometimes have to sacrifice stories or characters from it so you actually have the best, um, most complete, most compelling story to tell. Now, at some point you did the creative nonfiction course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Why did you decide to do it and what did you get out of it that was helpful in writing your book? So I sent off a very early draft to uh, my publisher and she responded with, it's wonderful, it's great, keep on going. But in part, you're still very academic. It's still presenting climate change in an abstract way. It's not very engaging. Whereas other chapters, I can see you've poured your heart and soul in here. Like I, I know who you are in this chapter, but other chapters, um, it's a bit jarring the way that I'm writing. 
and I too, when I was reading my, you know, draft manuscript, I was going, mm, yeah, it's just not, you know, gelling properly. There's not a beautiful seamless flow through this book. So I started, you know, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, um, reading articles online on how to improve narrative when you're writing about a nonfiction topic. Um, and I tried to look for examples in climate change books and they're fairly few and far between <laughs> um, <laughs> being told in this way. So then I sort of started to look, you know, more broadly at genres, um, nonfiction genres, but that have included a personal narrative. Anyway, one day when I was doing my online research, I came across the Australian Writers' Centre and I was looking through the courses and I was reading the testimonials and I thought, this is absolutely what I need. Um, you know, these are the questions that I have and this course is going to answer for me. And so I signed up and I was incredibly excited about it. And yeah, I, I lay on the floor listening to it, um, you know, had my notebook out, doing all the activities, coming back to the activities the following day after I had reflected on them. So I was really doing my homework. And constantly I was then jumping back into my manuscript and going, okay, well, I'm going to add a bit more detail to this character, or I'm going to like, end the chapter, this chapter with a bit of a cliffhanger. So I was learning these techniques and then I was applying them into my manuscript. And by the time I finished the, the creative nonfiction course, I, I just felt so much more confident in my writing. I really felt like, yes, I, I should and I can call myself a writer now. Um, and I'm going to apply this knowledge into this book and I, this book's going to be so much better because of it. That's wonderful to hear. Now, one of the things about uh, writing nonfiction is, especially in a book that it, that tackles climate change, is making complex stories into language that everyone can grasp easily. What thought process did you go through to figure out an approach to do that? It's kind of a funny one. And I would say Twitter has helped me a lot and social what? media has helped me a lot <laughs> because for the last decade or so, I've been staring very closely at the science as well as doing my own research, um, both in Australia and internationally, uh, writing up that research and evidence, creating new knowledge. Uh, but, you know, presenting it always in that academic um, you know, university style. But then I'm also very active on social media. And, you know, people just want something, you know, a bite-sized chunk to get it. Um, and they would love it if it's accompanied with a beautiful 30-second video or a nice landscape photo. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what I do. I, I understand the science. I look at it closely. And then something will really resonate with me, like a stat will jump out and I'll go, ah, so that's why we're losing the birds from my farm. And then I'll write a little tweet of, you know, I miss the sound of birds and the photo of a bird. And people go, oh, you know, oh, that like, I, I feel that sadness or that pain or mm. um, longing to hear the sound of birds again. So I do really believe in, as bizarre as it sounds, the 
the power of using social media and the training that gives people using social media to make something complex and big, very concise and presented in a bite-sized chunk. And people are only going to like it or follow it or tweet, uh, you know, retweet it if it is engaging, whether mm. if it is actually struck a chord with you. So, you know, with limited characters on the social media platforms, one has to get very good at succinctly translating a complex message like climate change into a bite-sized chunk that someone can pick up and go away with. <laughs> okay. So what... In terms of writing this book, apart from uh, um, telling people about complex ideas in, 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 in easy to understand language, what was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? Probably two things. One of it was um, belief in self that I could do it. Um, I had never written a book before. Uh, bits and pieces that I had written were, you know, for my own little website or, you know, a poem for a family member at a birthday. I hadn't written a, a proper, you know, real life novel, a yeah, book um, about a topic like this. Uh, so I guess I had to overcome that self-doubt and that questioning whether I could, although I do also think that questioning and self-doubt actually encourages us to do our research properly and to learn the skills and to constantly like check in you know is this the best that it can be mm. the second most challenging part of the book and it could probably be the the most one the first challenging one uh, is that I felt a great sense of responsibility a huge sense of responsibility telling this story telling it well telling it in a way that engaged people but also telling the stories of the people I interviewed in that, you know, I spoke with a, a Nigerian fish farmer. I spoke with a young Argentine sheep farmer. Um, I spoke with a, a, an elderly Canadian bison farmer. These people really are on the front lines of climate change. And in their stories, they do have real concern of what food insecurity means to their communities, real sadness in the way that their environment is changing before their eyes. And that is a responsibility of me taking their story and then sharing it in a way that is honest and it is authentic. And they've given me that story to help change this world for the better. Mm. And that's what I want this book to do. Because you've not just written a book, you have planted the seed of a movement. So what do you feel is your next step? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be communicating this issue for a long time, I can tell. Uh, and there's a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of gaps in the way that this story is being told and the level of engagement to the biggest challenge humanity has ever faced. I would love to keep on writing like it really is a passion of mine. And I love the intersect of art and science. You know, we have this wealth of evidence and knowledge being produced by researchers. 
how do we as creatives, whether it's writers, poets, filmmakers, artists, sculptors, puppeteers, how do we use that really important information we have about the world to capture people's hearts and minds and inspire behaviour change? So that's where I want to work. Wow. Now, you've mentioned that, you know, you've interviewed people like the fish farmer in Nigeria or the bison farmer um, in Canada, but it's also your stories that are in here. And sometimes when we write our own stories, we often, I know because I hear this all the time from people who do write their own stories, they fear that they're navel-gazing or they fear would anyone be interested in this story? How did you determine which stories from your life were going to be essentially worthy of being in this book? It's it's interesting because I listened to some pretty, uh, I guess, on reflection, poor podcasts that really said, you know, if you write a memoir, you've got to have to have an interesting life because no one really cares about you or what's happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this true? Is no one going to care about <laughs> my story? And, you know, I, I did hear this from a few podcasts sort of saying, you know, unless you're Barack Obama or the Queen of England, you know, no one's going to pick up your memoir. <laughs> um, and so I really had to sit back and think, okay, well, what parts of my story do I need to tell to enrich this book? And I'm naturally quite an introverted person and putting myself, you know, in the public eye for public scrutiny does not come naturally to me at all. Um, and I avoid it at all costs and did avoid it at all costs until I really recognised that if I wanted to play a more meaningful role in climate change and communication, then there has to be a personal story in there. There has to be a person that the, the viewer, the audience, the reader can relate to and go, okay, I get it. That's, that's the human story. That is someone who experiences the emotions, the, the triumphs and joys, as well as the heartbreak and sadness. So I boldly, bravely mm. opened... <laughs> opened the pages to my family you know I write about my grandmother and you know sitting on her lap I talk about a family illness that really rocked my world at the time um I describe you know the challenges that my family have faced and gone through during the droughts and how that's really made me question what I'm doing and who I am and what I should do and I guess in a way, I want to use my story as a bit of a role model for the reader to go, oh, so she didn't know what to do either to begin with. Oh, she didn't really get the science either. That's like me. But I can see her working this out in her mind and her actions. And I can see her going up and down in, you know, in, the, in the grief of the, the challenge as well as the joys of seeing something working well. Um, and I want those, can, those emotions that I feel and write about in the book to be mirrored in the reader. So by the time they end up in those final chapters where I do talk about actions that we can take, the vision that I have, 
what we need to be doing as individuals and communities that the reader will close the book and go yeah i feel empowered i feel like i can and i should do something great now you've come out the other end you've 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 conceptualize the book you plan it out you've written it you've rewritten it and it's now published and uh getting fantastic coverage as well so congratulations on that so now that you've come out the other end what would your top three tips be for people who are listening to this who would love to write their own creative non-fiction book one day definitely do a a course um do your research uh learn as much as you can um but also get started uh, i think we're mm. so often thinking you know now's not the right time i'm not the right person i don't have the right voice someone else would do it better so i'll i'll leave it to them the world can't wait for us anymore to be honest and when we look at the you know, the challenges that are presented, the opportunities that are out there sort of within our fingertips, we actually really do need to be communicating those things and inspiring each other to reach out and grasp those opportunities, to tweak the system so it mm. is better. And, you know, in the nonfiction writing, we are talking about real subjects and real people and real issues. So we have to be writing these, you know, all of these topics, whether it is to do with climate change or food security or plastic pollution or, you know, name your global challenge <laughs> or, or local or national challenges, there's many out there to be written about. Um, and then find your unique voice and story um, mm. and insert it in there. And I guess reflect on why that topic has resonated with you and I think that's when it sort of, you know, all comes to light. This, this story, climate change, resonates with me because when I walk out onto the, into the paddock and surrounded by the red sand horizons and I see this incredible wildlife, like I, I feel this sense of love and this belonging and this responsibility to look after this place. And that's why I care about climate change. And that's why I write about climate change. Um, and I will tell my story to engage other people in this issue so we can help tackle this problem. I love it. Congratulations on your book, A Sunburnt, Our Sunburnt Country. Not only are you a fantastic author, Anika, you're a game changer. Um, uh, I mean, your, your, your thoughts and ideas and insights are game changing <laughs> and um, uh, I truly believe you're the voice of the new generation. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. There we go, Anika Molesworth. Um, always great to hear someone so passionate about not only their writing but about the issues that they're discussing. Hey, Al. Absolutely. And it's brilliant. You know, I mean, her book is doing really well and I think that that's, yes. you know, all power to her and her passion. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we are almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week until we chat again, Al? Well, having had that conversation earlier about where am I at with my Christmas activities, mm -hmm. um, I've been sitting here the whole time thinking, oh, dear, I really need to get onto that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I think I'll be getting on to my Christmas activities. That's what I'll be doing. What about you? What are you doing? Sounds fab. Well, by the time we chat again, I will have uh, gone to the belated book launch of Susanna Hardy, her book, oh, Loving Lizzie hooray. March. Yeah. Yes, finally, because that was about to, we were about to launch that book uh, back in, you know, June, July, whatever. And literally days before we had the lockdown. So I think it's still important to celebrate because not only is it her debut novel, it is a fantastic one. And we need to celebrate these sorts of milestones, right? Even if they are belated. So I it's am very important to actually yes. mark the occasion, I think. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely deserve it. It's a big, big deal and a big, big effort when you've written and published and put a book out there in the world. And I'm so thrilled for Susanna in how successful it has gone. So I will have uh, done that by the time we chat it again. And I will have... Um, done some Ask Me Anythings for the Freelance Writing Masterclass program members. It's great oh, to see them kicking goals. Busy. Uh, yeah, and I'm going for a drive. What? Yes. What, down the street, around the block, what? Kind of into the national park and stuff. A friend of mine um, who I haven't seen in a while, he's got one of those cars that, um, you know, you feel like you should be wearing – lunettes and a scarf with and have the top down and pretend that you're in Monte Carlo or somewhere. So um, I'm going to pretend to do that. <laughs> okay. Even, Sounds great. Even though I'm not going to look remotely like I'm in Monte Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to feel like you're in Monte Carlo. Uh, one can dream. One can dream. So, exactly. yes, I'm going for a drive. All um, right. Will you enjoy fantastic. that? Thank you. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>